to bless our time. So, word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank Thee for that grace, uh, majesty, that goodness to us in our blessed uh, Redeemer, Christ, and for the gift of the Spirit who uh, leads and guides us to our heavenly home. Uh, bless our time of study. Prosper us uh, for Thy kingdom's sake. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So this morning uh, we're looking at, um, if you have your outline, um, Nature of the Atonement, uh, which is, uh, or pardon me, uh, Redemption Accomplished D. Is that right? Yeah. So we looked at the necessity atonement. Uh, we has to be an atonement for sin. We looked at the nature of the atonement. And uh, the concept of the nature of the atonement uh, is critical to understanding, I believe, the extent of the atonement. If you really understand the nature of the atonement, the notion of the extent of the atonement simply becomes um, uh, a, a logical necessity even though it's not a mere logical necessity, it's a biblical necessity. So if you think about the nature of the atonement, is that uh, Christ actually sacrificed Himself. The wrath of God was satisfied. We were reconciled to God and we were redeemed. If all those things happened, then the question arises, who, who did He do it for? And that's the extent of the atonement. For whom was the atonement effective? For whom was it a sacrifice, a propitiation, a redemption? Okay. Now remember when we looked at those terms, propitiatory or satisfaction, redemption, he actually bought us. Uh, those are not contingent events. Okay. God doesn't do contingency. God does, he does. He doesn't do it based upon anything within us or about us. He does it based on His sovereign grace. So we are done for. We are actually, when Christ was on the cross, He was actually buying the people that God gave Him to buy. Okay? And no one else. Uh, and, and we know because of who He is, it's going to be successful. It hadn't been applied yet. That's the work of the Spirit. But it's been effective. It's in effect. It's just awaiting uh, the application by the Spirit. So, so uh, Christ didn't maybe die. He didn't maybe uh, satisfy the wrath of God, uh, hoping, for example, we would believe in Him. You know, he actually uh, purchased us, satisfied the wrath of God against us. Okay, does that make sense? And that's the nature of the that's the nature of the atonement. That's also the perfection of the atonement, which is what we looked at last time. It was perfect. Uh, I mean, uh, the logical necessity of that is uh, no person of the Godhead does imperfect uh, because they're perfect. So whatever they do is perfect. They don't do imperfection. Okay, fallen man does imperfection, uh, but not not the triune Godhead. So, um, uh, if you think of perfection of the atonement, uh, C4, the intrinsic efficacy. In other words, it was effective in, uh, uh, intrinsically as to what Christ did. Has to be effective. 
because of who, who Christ is. So it's intrinsically sufficient or adequate or effective to satisfy all the demands of wrath against us. Again, to remind you of this, Christ does not create the possibility for us to save ourselves. He doesn't do possibilities. We do possibilities. He doesn't. He actually does. Okay? Now that's kind of a foreign concept because if you're like me, I grew up in the fact, I grew up in, uh, you know, uh, the Arminian church, which, you know, God does his part, uh, and yet we have to do our part. Okay? Um, so, in that sense, salvation is only possible if I do my part. Okay. Uh, and really, if I do my part well enough. Christ doesn't deal in that type of language. So it's intrinsically effective or efficacious. So He doesn't fail. So that raises the question, now we're on D, the extended atonement. Um, introduction, for whom did Christ die? Okay. Um, certain texts uh, in the Bible seemingly suggest that he died uh, for everyone. Let's let's turn to um, uh, Isaiah fifty three six. Um, this, as you know, is the last servant song. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 53.6 All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. So people, well, the iniquity of us all fell on Christ. So now we have to believe to make it effective to fall on Him. Okay. Um, um, you know, the, the, the question of who is the all. Okay. Look, for example, at verse 11. Isaiah 53.11 as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Okay? To me, the many there is definitive of who they all are. Because he, notice again the language, he will, or my servant will, justify the many. That's the efficacy of his word. He'll justify them. So that's definitive of the all. Yeah. Wrath of God is poured out upon the Son for all of His people, or if you will, the many that He's going to justify. Does that make sense? You see it inherent with the with uh, uh, with with the servant song. Um, notice verse twelve, the last last part of it. Because He poured Himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet He Himself bore the sins of many. Okay. That's not in contradiction uh, to uh, uh, verse 6, the iniquity of us all to fall on Him, because we know God doesn't contradict Himself. So we have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. He bore the sins of many. He was actually carrying the sins of all of the elect upon the cross, but only of the elect, no one else. Okay. Because think of it this way. If uh, the nature of the atonement determines the extent. 
if he bore the sins of everybody that's ever been born, then everyone's going to be saved. Because his work is effective. Is everyone kind of catching the language there? Okay. Uh, the typical response of the Arminian is, is, look, he bore the sins of everybody. He actually paid for the sins of everybody. But they have to believe it to make it effective. I mean, that's a typical response. So the question then becomes, um, uh, is the lack of faith sin? Is, is the lack of faith sin? Yeah, it is. So did he die for that sin or not? You see the question? Your face just lit up. You catch it, don't you? Yeah. Lack of faith is... So you can't really pull that argument and say, well, but we got to believe. Well, wait a minute. Is the absence of belief and faith a sin? It certainly is. He died for that sin too. Uh, let, me give, let me give you an illustration. John Owen, who was an English uh, a Puritan, he was a Congregationalist in terms of church government, um, puts it this way. Uh, he has three alternatives to the atonement. Uh, Christ died for all of the sins of all men. Therefore, everyone is saved. If He died for them, He redeemed them, everyone's going to be saved. Well, we know that's not true because the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, so, second alternative to the atonement, He died for some of the sins of all men. Well, then no one's saved. Okay. So, the third alternative is He died for all of the sins of some men. And that's our view of the atonement. Now, the sum is a massive number. You know, stars in the sky, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, but He didn't die for it. He died for all of the sins of some men. Okay. That's our view of the atonement. Because if he died for all the sins of all men, everyone then we're universal. Now, modern day liberalism believes that. You know, he died for everybody, and we're all going to heaven, except maybe Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels. You know, a few really bad people. Okay. Um, Those whom the Father gives. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly John 6 is that. Uh, all that He has given to me will come to me. And I'll raise Him up on the last day. In other words, none are lost. So yeah, He only, uh, His high priestly prayer was efficacious for everyone that God the Father gave Him. Yeah. So, I mean, you can see here that the nature of the atonement is driving the extent. Yeah. So, um, my, my challenge to you is, is, you know, we began this class talking about Scripture. And Scripture is to interpret Scripture. So, always look in the context. So, if he uses the word all, uh, you know, it's probably a reference to who the all are. 
if it's his people, then that's obviously solves that problem. Okay. Uh, D2. The Bible uses expressions that are universal in form, but cannot be interpreted as all men without exception. Okay. All men without exception, meaning everybody. Men, women, boys, girls, slave free, all men without exception. Uh, let's turn to, um, again, I'm just going to look at a couple of these examples. Uh, you can go through and look at others. I'm going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.12. So, 1 Corinthians. I never get there. Chapter 6, verse 12. Okay, Paul is writing, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, does Paul literally mean all things are lawful for me? Can he... Steal. So it's he, he doesn't literally mean all things. Uh, so it's defined by the context. And the context is whatever we're free to do from the Scriptures, we're free to do. And Paul is constraining himself out of love for the, for the church. What's the constraint? He refuses to take any money from them. Even though it would be lawful for him to say, look, I'm teaching you uh, a laborer is worth his hire. He sets that aside. Uh, so, so he has a perfect right, and that's what's defining the all things. He has a right uh, to be supported by them, uh, but he sets it aside uh, to make it harder for him as an expression of his love. So, all I'm tr trying to simply suggest by 1 Corinthians 6.12 is all... Look at the context. Okay? I mean, and, and you and I do the same thing all the time. Okay? Uh, I mean, let's say um, um, uh, let's say Jessica has a bunch of close friends at work. You know, you know, maybe they get together during the year, you know, a couple of times and have dinner or whatever. Yeah. So Jessica's having a function over her house. And she's invited all these close friends, but one of them begs off. Well, she really wants that person to come. So she says something to the effect, everybody's coming. Does she mean everybody in the entire company? Everybody in the world? Is everybody really everybody? No, it's limited by the historic context of this close circle of friends. No? We, we invite people to, to things all the time. We say, everybody's going to be there. We don't mean the whole world's going to be there. I mean, that'd be nonsensical. It's limited by context. That's what I'm saying. The Scriptures limit us in terms of interpretation. Because remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. Uh, um, Isaiah 53, 6, 
Uh, the iniquity of us all fell on him. Who's the all there? Well, the, everyone he's going to justify. Verse 12, 53, 12. Doesn't justify everybody, did he? No, didn't. So, so is that everybody kind of on kind of see the reality here? Okay. Um, let's let's look at another one. Hebrews chapter two, verses nine to thirteen. Hebrews chapter 2. We've looked at this text before. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and he who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to be called brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Uh, I will sing thy praise, and again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Okay? Um, look at the, the conundrum is in verse 9. We do see Him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. So who's the everyone? Verse 10, bringing many sons to glory. Verse 13, I and the children whom God has given Me. You see how the context is defining everyone? Uh, taste death for everyone? Tom, see, yeah, you got it. Everyone, the, the many sons to glory, not all sons, because not all sons are going to be led to glory. Yeah. So I'm just illustrating there that let the context determine. Uh, D three, what the question is not. It is not that the benefits short of justification and sanctification accrue to all men because the dominion of Christ is universal. Okay? Uh, what, what Murray is saying here is God does not bless the non-elect with efficacious grace. He blesses the non-elect with common grace. Okay? Common to everyone as our Lord's dominion extends to everyone. So it, it, so it rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. You know, all of life is dependent upon the sun. Okay? So the sun gives life to, the, to men that are wicked sinners, the just and the unjust. So common grace is in play there. We're not denying common grace. Number four, what the question is, on whom, pardon me, on whose behalf did Christ offer himself a sacrifice? Whom did he reconcile, redeem, and act as a substitute for? Okay, that's the nature and perfection of the atonement. Only the elect. Okay. Notice, if you have your outline, hope, hope you do, but if not, you can go back and look at it. This is really, to me, M Murray is, is, uh, 
incredibly precise here in his language. Redemption, I'm looking at 4a, little a. Redemption does not mean redeemability. Okay? Everybody get that? Redemption does not mean redeemability. It means to purchase and procure. Okay? Let's turn to a couple of texts here. One of my favorite. Um, I'm going to turn first to Hebrews 9.12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, did He obtain it or not? Okay? He obtained eternal redemption. Not the possibility of it. He did it. Okay? Okay, The language there is not of possibility. He actually did it. Uh, Let's look at uh, Titus. Go back a couple books. Titus chapter 2. In verse 14. Okay. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. That He might redeem. The purpose that He gave Himself was to effect redemption. Okay? So He's actually redeeming. He's actually obtaining eternal salvation. That's why in my opening comments, we spoke to the fact that Christ's death upon the cross is not creating the possibility of salvation. Christ doesn't do possibility. He does reality. Now, this is is a great text. If you have turned to the last book in the Bible, easy to find, chapter 5. Book of Revelation. Chapter 5 and verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain. Okay? Now notice, and didst purchase. Okay? He was sacrificed on the cross. He was purchasing on the cross. Who did he purchase? Purchase for God with thy blood men from, notice the preposition from, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Did he purchase everybody? No. He purchased from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That to me is the the biblical concept of the word world. God so loved the world. Not everybody in the world but men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, no ethnicity whatsoever. Remember in the Old Testament, there was an an ethnic reality. 
Gentiles could come to faith, but they had to go through Israel. Okay? Because Israel was the door. Now there is, Christ is the door, and He purchased men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So that's what, that's what the phrase means, uh, all men without distinction. Okay? Think of the, one of the evils. I, I don't want to get on this because we, in our culture, we spend way too much time on it. Uh, but it, but it's an important illustration. Turn the clock back in time to let's say 1950, and let's say we're living in the deep south. Okay, that was. Um, um, dominated by Jim Crow laws. Okay? Dominated by segregation. You're a preacher, you stand up in the pulpit and you say, Christ died for black men. You think you're going to be real popular? No, probably not. But is what you said true? Absolutely. Because there's no color issue. I mean, there's no ethnic issue. That's one of the, I mean, that was, it's one of the conundrums of the church in the South. I mean, uh, but that's just the nature of the reality. Christ died for black men, white men, red men, uh, poor men, rich men. So that's what we mean when we say all men without distinction. That was a real problem for the Jews in the first century church. Okay, because they had grown up with the reality that Israel was the portal. And here is the, for example, book of Acts. Here's the Spirit of God being poured out on Gentiles. That was a real problem for them. Okay? So they have a church council, uh, Acts chapter 15, and, and Peter says, look, who am I, who am I to say the Spirit can't be given to Gentiles? It was given to Gentiles. All men without, um, Distinction. Jewish, the first century Jewish Christians, the book of Acts would have been like, um, white segregationists in the deep south in the 1950s. You know, hey, get over it, buddy. Christ died for all men without distinction. Okay. That's, so when we come to phrases in the New Testament like Jew, Gentile, slave free, Christ died for slaves. He died for Gentiles. Notice the language of Revelation 5.9. This is a very powerful text. He purchased, he actually purchased men from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. He doesn't say he purchased everybody, now it's up to them. No, he purchased. When you go into a store and you purchase I don't know, a candy bar. The minute you lay the money down, it's yours. Ownership transfers you. You actually redeemed that candy bar from the owner, the previous owner of the candy bar. You can substitute car, house, I don't care what you put in. Just making an illustration. Uh, you didn't purchase the possibility. The, the cashier rings it up. $2.12. You put down $2.12. Is it yours or not? Did you purchase the possibility 
to buy that candy bar? No, you didn't purchase. You actually purchased. Okay? Christ actually purchased. So let's look, for example, let's go back to um, D 4A. I'm quoting Murray here. It is to beggar. Everybody, see where I am. If you have, if you have your D4A. Okay. Notice the quotation marks right after Titus 2:14. It is to beggar the concept of redemption as an effective securement of release by price and by power to construe it as anything less than the effectual accomplishment which secures the salvation of those who are its objects. Christ did not come to make sins expiable. Christ did not come to make God reconcilable. Did Christ come to make the salvation of all men possible? To remove obstacles that stood in the way of salvation? And merely to make a provision for salvation? The doctrine of the atonement must be radically revised if as atonement it applies to those who finally perish and those who are the heirs of eternal life. In that event, we should have to dilute the grand categories in terms of which the Scripture define atonement. Okay. If He died for everybody, then we really have to redefine procurement and redemption and propitiation. We have to redefine what the atonement did. Okay? Let's look, let's continue the quote, uh, number five, regarding limited atonement. Unless we believe in the final restoration of all men, we cannot have an unlimited atonement. If we universalize the extent for whom he died, we limit the efficacy. If some of those for whom atonement was made and redemption wrought perish eternally, then the atonement is not itself efficacious. So he's laying it all on the line there. He's really telling it like it is. Okay. Uh, go back to the start of verse 5 regarding limited atonement. Let me uh, remind you of a very, very critical fact. If you think of the acrostic tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, L, limited atonement. Both sides reformed Calvinistic or Augustinian and the Arminian limit the atonement. Okay, that's why I don't like the phrase limited atonement. It, it is true, it's limited only to the elect. Massive number though that be, but we, we limit the extent of the atonement. The Arminian limits the nature of the atonement because it really didn't do anything until we okay, make it effective. Does that make sense? Kenneth, you, you okay there? Okay. Yeah. Both of us limit the atonement. Okay. Uh, let me go beyond that. Roman Catholics limit the atonement. Because it has to be repeated every Sunday in the Mass. If it has to be repeated, then something's, hey, what gives? Okay? Remember we talked about last week, you don't repeat perfection. Okay? 
Uh, we have a we have a communion table up here. It's not an altar. I'm not sacrificing Christ. He's already been sacrificed. Okay, he gave his life a ransom, the one for the many. So the Roman Catholics limit the atonement too, because it has to be repeated. In other words, it never was really good enough. So the priest has to do it over and over and over again. For me, it was not only good enough, it was accepted by God the Father. Okay, so uh, uh, the, the atonement is efficacious only for the elect. Now let me, let me talk about a few, few uh, uh, objective realities. One of the reasons this doctrine is particularly um, important to me, not only in worshiping Christ because of what he did, you know, he didn't say, Phil, I'm going to do my part. Now you better do yours. No, he actually purchased me and then sends his spirit to have to apply it. Um, um, so it, it's the grand categories to use Murray's term of, of the efficacy of the atonement. Uh, he wasn't making redemption possible. He was creating the reality that he would die and secure everyone given to him by the Father. Okay. So that's expansive to me of my own praise and worship of Christ. Okay. Uh, if I make it a 50-50 work, God does His part and I have to do mine. I come, Lord, I praise You half the time. Because I'm worthy as well. That's nonsense. Number one, dead men don't choose life. So, um, you know, it's not a 50-50. It's 100%. But that's, that's essentially what the Arminian is doing. He was worthy, but I am too because I came. You know, I mean, I understand we come, but we come because we were brought, you know. John 6, no man can come to me except, except the Father uh, who sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. Notice, notice the transaction there. Uh, drawn by the Father to the Son. He's going to raise him up on the last day. Yeah. In that same context, I lose none. Everyone that believes in me comes to me, okay, because they're drawn by the Father. Okay. And I'll raise them up on the last day. None are lost. If we come, we're going to be raised up on the last day. Many, many, many in the Protestant church today believe that you can come to Christ and then fall away from Christ and be lost again. In other words, not be raised up on the last day. You see the connection with Arminian theology. Arminianism denies eternal security. You got to come. Good enough, you come. But there's something else you got to do. Keep yourself. Because you can fall away all over again, need to be saved all over again. Think of the vagaries of that logic. Christ didn't do his job good enough. Christ saved you, and then he lost you. 
Only for you needed, only for you to be saved all over again. That's, that's not the grand categories of redemption. So, there is genuine worship when we come to church and we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's table that Christ did everything. Because He doesn't do partial. You and I do partial. He does perfection. Um, and I don't need a priest offering Mass for me. I need one high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. So that's the just magnificence to me of it all. The, the other thing that's important for me there is uh, when, I'm, when I'm sharing the Gospel, as I'm commanded to do, I'm commanded to go to all the world. That's all men with that exception. Share the Gospel. Because I don't know who the elect are. God hasn't told me. He says, you go to all men. I don't ever tell... This is me. I don't ever, I don't ever tell anyone... Christ died for you. He loves you and He died for you. Because I don't want to give them a false sense of security. Because logically, the cogs in their brain are going to say, He loves me? He died for me? He'll never send me to hell. What I tell people is Christ died for the sins of sinners and you are a sinner. Now, I may not use that exact language, but you know what I'm saying? I don't want to give anyone a false hope so I don't go around saying, well, God loves you and He really wants you to come for Him. and He's just up there in heaven wringing His hands that you would come. and Oh, He's just pleading for you to come. And here's Jesus pleading for you to come. And oh, just that you would come because He died for you and He loves you. I don't use that kind of language. Because to me, it's dangerous. I say, look, Christ is the offering and sacrifice He's the only offering and sacrifice that God the Father will ever accept. Everything else is excluded. He's not up there wringing His hands. Because you know? God doesn't have to wring His hands. No, He's accomplished everything. Remember Genesis 1, which is the backdrop of the new creation. And God said, let there be light. What did the light say? No, not today. No, I love darkness. No. And there was light, and it was so, Moses says. Okay? That's what God did to your heart. Boom, let there be light. Boom! There was light. Now you come, I understand that you come because He's changed your nature. See, we are, our, our will, as you know, um, our will is subservient to our nature. Our nature, because of the fall of Adam, is corrupt. Corrupt men don't come to God. And so God comes to men, His elect, changes their nature, gives them light, so we say, I'm coming to Jesus. <laughs> you know, That's the beauty of it. He changes our nature and in an instant, okay, we, we come to faith. I don't know if you remember this, but I shared this example with you. Lions, okay, are carnivorous. You go to the zoo, you go into the lion pen, you will never see them taking cabbage and celery and carrots. Because lions don't eat carrots. They eat meat. Okay? 
So that's just the nature. The will of the lion is governed by his nature. That's why I never tell people, well, you have a free will. It's up to you. If you ever get it someday, you can come anytime you want. I don't, I don't use language like that. Because I know their will has been corrupted by the fall. Okay. So this is, to me, the beauty and the majesty of uh, our, our redemption. Not redeemability, our redemption. Uh, not expiability, but our sins were actually expiated. God doesn't deal in possibility. Um, uh, the, the other thing that's important to me in sharing the gospel, which, you know, you're probably not like me, but I'm always kind of worried, God, will I say the wrong thing? Or will I blow it? Or, oh my gosh, you know, which we all do. We all make mistakes. But it lifts the worry off of me. My job is to tell the, is to tell the message. I don't try to save anyone because I can't. I just tell them that there is a Savior. The question is, is He your Savior? That I don't know, but I don't. It's out of my hands, okay? If you will, the old saw that we hear everywhere in our culture, it's way, way, way above my pay grade. I just do what my pay grade says. Share the Gospel with the whole world. Only God can save, so I don't have to worry about it. Wring my hands or, oh, if I'd have just told... Uh, Betty Sue, this illustration, I'd have been successful. I don't have to worry about that. You know, I just want to say, Betty Sue, you're a sinner. You need a savior. Or Billy Bob, whatever. I'm not, you know, just using illustrative language. So, again, the nature of the atonement determines the extent of the atonement. So, there is some logical necessity there. But not only is there logical necessity, there is biblical necessity. Christ died to purchase men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. All men, if you will, that distinction. Okay? Okay, so uh, the hour is kind of gone. I'll go over the, the conclusion last time. But um, if you would read, uh, we're in part two next week, Redemption Applied. Okay? Um, you, might, you might also read, well, no, do what, do, I'm sorry, let me, let's do something else. Um, I want you to read the chapter on union with Christ. Does anybody have their book? Jessica, what chapter is that? Chapter 9, Union with Christ. Okay. Read Union with Christ first. Because um, Murray is a little bit in error here. All the aspects of the application of redemption are tied to our union with Christ. Because we're united with Him in His death and resurrection, we're going to be justified, sanctified, glorified, and on and on. So that's, a, that's just a critical determinative factor for our union with Christ. Okay?
we'll kind of see how far we go. But again, understand the transition that Murray, I think, is really excellent here. Uh, I think I think Murray really is relying on Francis Turretin, because I think language comes out of Turretin. Um, um, accomplishment. Everything's been accomplished on the cross. Now it has to be applied. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, the application is the work of the God the Spirit. God the Spirit's going to take everyone for whom Christ procured on the cross and apply it to their lives and say, let there be light and there is light. But the Spirit is uh, particularly the agent of the application. So, so let, me, let me remind you with this logical challenge. Does the Spirit make mistakes? No. Does the Spirit uh, uh, work in the realm of possibility? No. God the Spirit doesn't do possible. He does actual. So, uh, when, when Christ sends the Spirit, He's sending the agent to affect uh, our salvation. But He's the effector. Um, the result is we believe. But I want to remind you of something. Our belief doesn't save us. God saves us. Our believing is the result of a change in nature. I'm not undermining belief at all or faith. When I share the Gospel, I tell them you have to believe in Christ. I don't undermine that at all. That is our part. But it's not... Uh, uh, something that we can do in and of ourselves. We have to be changed. And that's the whole point of the creation. Old creation tells us that. The new create Christ is the is the uh, agent of the new creation. He creates his church. Okay? The Spirit's going to make it happen. So you see there the beautiful unity in the work of the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you have any questions, you can you know, we, we, we can talk further. Bring them next time, if you will. I, we, but we've covered a lot of theology here. So, a lot of ground. So, that, that's closing prayer. Uh, our Father, bless us with the grand design of our atonement, effected, made perfect and complete by Jesus Christ, the only, the only Redeemer of God's elect. We pray hearts full of joy and thanksgiving and satisfaction, and security, and peace because of Him. Amen.